Welcome to the CFO Playbook, where we bring you insights and strategies on how the many obstacles facing the heads of finance functions internationally are being tackled. I'm your host, Francois Bardenos. I'm the UK content lead at Soldo. And each episode, we help you grow your team, your company, and yourself. Today, we welcome on the show Tom Herbert. Tom is the tech editor at Accounting Web, the largest independent online community for accounting and finance professionals in the United Kingdom. Tom is a journalist, editor, and broadcaster with experience across digital and print. And for the past seven years, he specialized specifically in business, accountancy, and technology journalism. He writes and edits news, features, interviews, and opinion pieces, and has also featured on a variety of podcasts and videos and webinars as both a host and as a guest. In this episode, Tom and I discuss ChatGPT and the future of AI, the recent Silicon Valley bank situation, the tyranny of the expense reclaim, and his opinion on accountancy stereotypes. So let's get into it. Enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whichever medium you use to listen to my lovely voice. Enjoy. So we're joined now by Tom Herbert. Tom, how are you doing? I'm very well indeed, Fran. Thanks for having me. Tom, for the uninitiated, is the tech editor at Accounting Web. He's also helmed ICAW Insights. Uh, and if you're lucky enough to run into Tom at a pub, be sure to let him regale you with his stories as a magazine editor in China. Uh, I've had the pleasure of those stories. So be sure if you're off pod, ask him about his time in the Middle Kingdom for sure. But where are you today, Tom? You're in much more local pastures, aren't you? I am dialing in from sunny Bristol today in the, uh, the southwest of England. Very nice, very nice. Same as your host, so we're actually geographically very similar. It's, it's a nice change for me. I'm, I'm usually speaking to people in all different far-flung corners of the world, so it's nice to have uh, have someone here with me, so to speak. Indeed, Bristol is the uh, Bristol's the, the, the sort of upcoming, maybe the sort of Silicon Valley, perhaps, of <laughs> future years in England. It really is. It's funny. Um, it seems to also be a uh, uniquely rich accounting ecosystem in terms of accounting technology. That's kind of blossomed in the last maybe, what, decade or so, would you say? Yeah, there's various sort of startups that have come. So I guess the most couple of most recent ones have been Center, which is like an accounting practice management tool that got bought out a few years ago. And there was an interesting one um, called Spherix that came out of Bristol that were sort of carbon, it was carbon accounting. So it pulled the data out of your general ledger system and uh, assessed your system from there, gave you a rating, I think actually acquired by Sage. There's a theme here in the tech startup industry. Yeah, (laughs) I've been acquired by Sage. Uh, Sage has bought me. They've started buying journalists and writers like Chattel, uh, that's that, that, that's their next move. Uh, no, no, that's not true. Uh, so Tom Tom writes for Accounting Web, and if you're an accountant, I can assure you they've got a fantastic taste in journalists. Accounting Web is a wonderful resource for accountants, both in practice and in industry. And Tom writes various uh, wonderful and interesting articles. He's also got a great presence on LinkedIn. Uh, Be sure to follow him there. Today is a little bit different. We're going to be discussing three of Tom's pieces that he's written recently, and we'll be delving a little bit into them. Tom, I suppose, first on deck is the very much newsworthy presence of chat 
GBT. G G B T. I always struggle to say that. I, I turned the P into a B. I don't know why. Uh, but yes, AI. Tell me about that. Tell me about AI. Is it coming for us? Are we turning into robots? It's a tongue twister, okay? Yes. I've just finished a run of conferences. So generally, the you have the spring accounting software conference season. So you have the likes of, we just had a Countex in London. You have the alternative AI series of events for sort of slightly larger firms, how QuickBooks Connect, various other, yeah, Oracle Cloud World I went to as well, the NetSuite conference. So loads of different things. And yes, AI is very much the topic du jour at the moment. And I guess when it really kicks into gear was when GPT-4 appeared. So October, November, we had sort of GPT version 3, where people were, I think, having a bit of fun with it and, you know, asking it to write the UK tax code in the style of a Gilbert and Sullivan opera or compose a haiku from my expense report or something like that. So I think that was quite interesting. But then, you know, people were sort of still a bit unsure in terms of its application to business and finance. But actually, GPT-4, OpenAI, the parent company of it, um, their president, Greg Brockman, did this presentation for the new software. And he did the full Steve Jobs one more thing, but he did it with a tax return. And I mean, I appreciate I live in a technology echo chamber, as it were, and all my social media is with people who talk about these things. But yes, it went completely nuts at that point with everyone saying, it's going to replace all of us, we're doomed. Yeah, it did seem like he was trying to make a point, wasn't it? Because accountancy especially is like, I don't want to get too into like the the class intricacies of it, but it, it feels as if we're, we're very accepting generally of of sort of blue collar automation. But it's this very respectable white collar job, and he was just like, "Well, yeah, look at this thing. Look what I just done." And the theory behind it is relatively sound. If you've got something like a tax code or accounting standards that are primarily rules based, then you can feed them into the system and then feed a bunch of your numbers in and potentially get a match. But it doesn't particularly allow for nuance. So AccountX last week, it was probably quite late into the night. At one point, I was with two accountants who owned, both owned sort of software spin-off firms, and they were locked in mortal combat over the the sort of tax exemptions that they could get from there, were both totally convinced that their version of the tax code was right. So yeah, there are a million and one intricacies. So uh, that's just one of the many, one of the many things of when the marketing hype collides with the reality, I guess. Yeah. And Accounting Web, in many respects, is a living example of it. Because I mean, if you go, so Accounting Web has the section, any answer which is, I suppose you could call it like a rolling jubilee of accounting debates. And yeah, you'd be amazed given, like you say, like it's it's a rules-based thing, but you'd be amazed how people can differently interpret things. And some of the debates that they would have would be quite, uh, I would say, verbally aggressive, so to speak. So yeah, you do wonder how AI would kind of resolve those things. It can get quite spicy, yes. So rather than get too depressed about it, I think, look at what what can it actually do? What can it do now? And we've had a bunch of the software vendors, the established vendors have gone away. They've used these open AI plugins to see what they can do with their systems. And well, yeah, there's some quite interesting stuff. So if, for example, 
on email. You can ask it to prepare a draft for an email. So let's say from a finance head's perspective, a head of department might email in for some figures, budget versus actuals, expense reports, whatever. It can immediately draft a response. And if those documents are there and ready in the system, then it, it can attach them as well. At Accountex, I bumped into um, a very new company who were using GPT for spend management. So, you know, the expense reports, you've got your policy uploaded to the AI and people submitting their claims. And if it matches, then, you know, you can set it to auto-approve. I'd be slightly concerned about doing that, to be honest, because of the employees find that out you there might be a way to game the system but it does feel like that there needs to be a human in the loop at some stage but i think there's definite sort of potential to um automate a lot of those fairly dull tasks yeah emails emails and advisory prompts and that kind of stuff like is you pointed this out in the article and like i immediately kind of thought of that i was like yeah it'd be awesome if like you know some robot could just kind of like essentially send autocomplete replies to people especially if it's quite routine questions and repetitive questions but like you say the issue here really is is the classic one of they always talk about with autopilot on planes like you could feasibly get autopilot really to you know fly the thing on a sort of permanent basis but at the end of the day you do kind of want a person there you know what i mean like someone who can when the time is really really necessary to make a moral judgment you want some flesh and bone there i think absolutely and i think that a lot of these things are still in beta. So I think it does pay to be cautious around adopting these things. I'd say, by all means, keep reading about it. Ask your software vendors about what they're doing and how they plan to sort of build it in. But the ones making the noise about it now might not necessarily be around in six to 12 months with the shakedown. We had a big sort of chatbot boom, I want to say like six or seven years ago where a whole range of these larger vendors produce their chatbots and uh, they're now probably sort of gathering dust in uh, some lost page of the internet somewhere. Yeah, very interesting stuff. The next article that I really wanted to talk about was your piece around Silicon Valley Bank, uh, which given how hectic the news cycle is these days, it feels like a decade ago, but it was just the other day, wasn't it, that uh, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. I mean, I suppose just to give people a bit of a refresher. Can you just tell us a little bit about what exactly happened there? So yes, Silicon Valley Bank was, it was quite an unusual case in terms of it provided banking services to quite high growth tech startups who very quickly would get quite large amounts of money deposited into their accounts from investors and uh, yet weren't quite sure what to do with them or how to make money as it were. So uh, they <laughs> put a bunch of it in um, in sort of what they consider to be fairly safe bonds. And uh, the interest rate, the continuing interest rate hikes meant that they ran out of liquidity and uh, there was essentially a bit of a run on it. So uh, it is a weird one. Why do we care? Like, surely, why would accountants or small businesses in the UK really care about this? Well, I think the sort of ripple effects came there was shots in the arm about those who had sort of multiple links to tech providers. So as an example, Etsy, the sort of micro business platform that serves millions, like people working from their kitchen tables, you know, doing, you know, pewter miniatures or tea towels or whatever, but Etsy sort of used it to disperse funds and there was a big delay in processing payments. So people didn't get paid, people weren't able to 
settle with suppliers or pay wages. And there was a sort of big knock-on effect. And I, I think the message that I was trying to get out with this article is it's really important for businesses and accountants to sort of understand the whole tech ecosystem around them and then the little bits that can go wrong. Yeah, it's like a domino. And it, it, but, but it's funny because it, we don't tend to think about the technology that we use as infrastructure the same way that we think about our public infrastructure, you know, like, you know, if there's a power outage or whatever, you know, if the water doesn't come out the tap anymore, that's a, like a disaster. But we almost kind of view tech as, you know, this thing that just doesn't fail or doesn't fall apart or, you know, there's supply chains that kind of... And it's funny because we, we've just gone through the pandemic, which I feel like, surely, if anything else, there was one thing we learned was that, like, we should probably think about the fragility of, of our various kind of supply chains and how it can resonate upwards if something falls over or keels over. But yeah, it was funny because when Silicon Valley Bank happened, again, we it just feels like we were all kind of caught offside again and everyone kind of scrambled and panicked. And as from what I can understand from reading about stories about insiders that were involved there, like there was a, was a real risk that it could have spread. Yeah, absolutely. The ship has been righted. Um, I mean, in the UK, HSBC took them over. I think there's still ongoing discussions about the US entity. I think the government sort of stepped in to shore things up. But yeah, I mean, very much a, a sort of cautionary tale about maybe spreading some of your banking, you know, to try and minimise the impact of any of these scenarios, spreading credit risk, spreading banking, you know, having multiple relationships. It's a pain. It's more added admin and work, but it's a decent insurance policy, I think. That is the world we live in, unfortunately, isn't it? Uh, you know, given, I suppose, we've, we've kind of now officially left the more peaceful era of the... It, it kind of feels as, as if we've been living in like a very long uh, 1990s in our heads. And, you know, those days are, those days are long gone, <laughs> given the geopolitics and everything that's happening in the world right now. Very interesting stuff. Thank you, Tom. Um, so the final piece is, I suppose, a serious one, but also like a little bit whimsical. I did read it with a slight smile on my face, the whole thing of lying, lying on the resume. It's definitely something that I think you could start a conversation with pretty much anyone in the pub talking about this, because I suppose, really, we've all done it, haven't we? Like, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Yes. Uh, so this story, I picked it up. It was a sort of detail from a story in Business Insider where it was an anonymous accountant who had basically spent 18 months at home with their daughter before going back to work. But during this 18 months, they'd helped friends, done the sort of thing that accountants are asked to do generally and sort of help with invoices, accounting, tax, that kind of thing. So just sort of knocking around, probably not really being paid for it, but uh, yeah, just being helpful. But when it came to going back to work, it sort of turned out that people weren't enormously keen to have this gap in the CV. So instead they spun up this fictitious consulting firm and packaged these duties in a way that were technically true, but not, you know, not, not you know, kind of would have fallen apart under any interrogation or if they'd asked for references or if they'd asked, you know, gone on company's house to take a look or something like this. And one detail that they had included was around the fact that there was a specific piece of software that a job they were applying for needed. And just said, well, I wasn't going to let that stop me. So I said I was familiar with it. And then I set about making that the truth. 
by researching it and watching YouTube videos. So, yeah, it really brought the comment section and sort of social media. They came down on two extremes. It was either like, that's oh, totally fine, you know, that shows shows sort of pluck and spirit or just a real ethical backlash against it. So it was funny. Yeah. I was going to say the comment section, and if you go on a kind of where you haven't been, you kind of go for the article, stay for the comment section, I think, in many respects. It's like a second a second article in, in a way. It's, it was interesting, some of the different comments I saw. Like one of the interesting ones I noted was, uh, this is a direct quote from a user called Paul Benny, is that there are no benchmarks of what proficiency means. So almost the only truth is that the more people know, the more they realize the limits of their knowledge and skill and the limitations of the software itself. And then also someone else said, you know, if you can drive a Ford, you can drive a Toyota, uh, which is, you know, true, I suppose. Like, how different is a software really going to be? I mean, it's not, it can't be that dramatic, is it, really? So it's a very interesting debate. I think it kind of points to an interesting kind of debate I think we're having as a broader society around employment, which is there seems to be a, a general unwillingness to train people to hire someone and train them, especially if you know they have the capacity to, the professional capacity to learn something, right? If someone's a qualified accountant, if they've used software before, you would kind of just be like, well, I'm sure I could teach them whatever nuances there are, right? But, you know, it's a broader thing in our economy now where it's like, even if you want to get a job as a barista, <laughs> you know, you can teach someone how to make coffee. Like, it's not beyond the realms of impossibility, you know what I mean? So I think I very much fall on the, I'm pro this person. I'm not necessarily pro lying, but approach them kind of just taking matters into their own hands to kind of get over a, an irrationality that's kind of taken hold in our economy and our society. There is definitely a problem in terms of software as well that the universities, uh, the colleges, the bodies themselves are absolutely terrified of being accused of favoring one piece of software over another. And so they just don't teach it or they teach the theory, but the first time that any students actually get their hands on these tools are when they're plunged straight in at the deep end in the world of work. And so, yeah, it is pretty terrible. I don't know what the answer is, whether you have a sort of rotating <laughs> rotating cast of tools or whatever the most popular one is. Or, But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is, but it's definitely a problem that I've heard repeated again and again sort of businesses that I speak to of just saying, well, you know, these people just don't know how to do anything. So On the subject of technology, and this is another thing that you wrote, it wasn't necessarily on the stable of things to discuss, but you wrote a blog recently about expenses, which, you know, this is obviously the Soldo podcast, expenses being our bread and butter. Tell us a little bit about your perspective on expenses. It was an interesting piece. Remind me what the title was again. So, yes, the title, it was Jen said, fight back against the tyranny of expense reclaim. So as a journalist, I get hundreds of emails every day with various press releases, the weird, wonderful, wacky, and completely irrelevant sometimes, but occasionally one will pique my interest. And uh, this one, I think, said that actually, I think they'd surveyed about 1,200 British office workers aged between 16 and 34. So I'm, I'm maybe stretching Gen Z a touch there, but, uh, you know, it was a good headline. But they basically said that they wouldn't run down their bank accounts or, you know, hit their credit limits to boost the bottom line of their firm, and they would actively avoid 
activities that involved spending their own cash. And I don't think this that this company you emailed me perhaps were uh, expecting me to take the line I did, but I I sort of recall the first time as a young finance clerk that I was I was sent to uh, pick up some bacon sandwiches. Uh, you know, with my own money. Like, I said, just use your own money and the company will pay you back next month. It's like, what? What? And, oh, yeah, fill out this fill out this big form. Um, and you're not given the not given the codes. You have to go and find the codes somewhere. So, yeah, it was just, just I said, I just thought, what, what was this? Is this a test? You know, is this this part of adult life? Yeah. Yeah, the exact same. The exact same. I can remember the specific moment someone explained to me, you basically just front cash, your money, especially when you're younger, when you're starting out in your career, you know, money's in short supply. You know what I mean? Like you're living in a, like some kind of expensive urban setting or whatever, like rent eating like over half of your income. And then your company's like, yeah, I just, you know, we'll just give it back to you at some point. I think one of the reasons why Gen Z in particular bristles against it is because how simple technology has made borrowing and owing money between friends, like Monzo, for instance, it's so instantaneous now. I don't know if you've ever owed money to someone. You can send like payment reminders and you can kind of split bills and split tabs. PayPal has it too. It's so seamless and so easy. I think in your private life, and you see this thing where you can kind of manage these like these debts between you and your friends so, so, so simply, and then you get to work. And this ostensibly often large companies, you know, tech companies sometimes. And they're just like, yeah, just fill out this paper form and then we'll, I guess, give it to you at some point. Yeah, it's thoroughly depressing. It feels like, it's very much ideological, but we've fallen into a bit of a gap. So it kind of feels like when I was sort of finance clerking in the mid-90s, that there was the petty cash tin that you were supposed to do. I, I don't know what happened with bacon sandwich gates, but, um, you know, I, I, like generally you'd, you'd be given this money, you'd be trusted to go off and you'd come back, give them the change and the receipt and that's happened. But as cash has been phased out of the society, we've now fallen out of the habit of having this sort of petty cash tin. Uh, remote working, I guess, makes that more difficult. But instead of replacing it with a sort of virtual petty cash did in the form of corporate cards or virtual cards or whatever, it's come down to expense reclaim. And I'm afraid that, uh, as you were saying, because of this sort of high-grade consumer technology that, that you were mentioning in terms of splitting bills or sharing, it can only appear ideological and that the company sort of deliberately withholding this and I think is incredibly counterproductive because I got pelters in this article you know, fine, uh, you, you express an opinion, you put it out That there. is the way, that is the way. If you're going to publish an A-Web, that's it. you got to put your armor on, unfortunately. It's one of those things, isn't it? it? It could be one of the straws that breaks the camel's back. And and actually, if you decide to leave, then the cost of hiring a replacement and training for you is going to be far greater than uh, whatever you're spending on this uh, expense app. So, yeah, I think there are certain false economies in this system, in my view. Yeah, there's a lot to be said, I think, for, and I can't measure this or provide a stat, but there's a lot to be said for using the different types of technology within a business in terms of running the business to create like a vibe at a company in terms of just a vibe that employees kind of just feel like, oh, that's easy. You know what I mean? You know, they, they always talk about in economics of like an embedded growth obligation. Uh, and I suppose there's, uh, you know, within like the macroeconomic picture, like you have to grow every year. But there's also something like almost like a embedded comfort obligation that like 
it's just just make people's lives a little bit easier and you know you'll probably find that employees just tend to become a little bit more sticky they'll stay because it's nice here <laughs> that's just anecdotally me speaking as an employee but i just feel like if you, it's such an easy win it's just there just take it low hanging fruit there was a piece a little while ago in the ft talking about the rise of shadow admin work and i guess in the past you had receptionists or office managers and things like that, uh, that role has kind of dropped away for one reason or another. And you're now left with a bunch of the stuff. I mean, I'm meant to be writing about accounting tech. I shouldn't have to spend an hour or an hour and a half or whatever of my day sort of tapping numbers onto a spreadsheet um, to get my money back, as it were, that, I, that I've spent on on sort of traveling for work. Yeah, Tom, it's been really fun to speak to you today. Uh, it's always really good to have a bit of a tour of the old AWEP mobile. I suppose before we leave, I always like to ask people just a quick question, varying types, whatever mood I'm in. But I, today, I feel like I'm going to ask you, do, do you have a crank or controversial opinion about accountancy that you would like to share with us? I think that accountants, the stereotype is Nigel in the corner office with his spreadsheets and they're incredibly boring people like Monty Python and various others have have spread this around. But I actually find accountants incredibly entertaining. I think they're generally very quirky, quite eccentric um, and often quite blunt. But when I pitched up in 2015 after, as you said, a series of events writing, travel writing, sports journalism. Like my wife's accounting journalism, are you sure? But uh, yeah, I've loved every minute of it. Genuinely, it's been great fun. So yeah. I could definitely vouch for that. And anyone who doesn't believe us can definitely peruse the accounting web uh, comment section. Like I say, it will be thoroughly evidenced there. Tom Herbert, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Tom is available on all the good social media platforms. Tom, you're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn. I know you do like a weekly roundup on LinkedIn. Definitely check that out and follow him there. And also obviously check out his writing on accountingweb.co.uk and accountingweb generally. It's a wonderful resource. I Not just for accountants, I, I read it myself as someone who's interested in the sector. Thank you very much for your time, Tom. Is there any other any other plugs that you would like to make before we leave? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I think I think we're uh, I'm a plug free zone at the moment. You you mentioned my video roundup. I'm usually behoven to sort of promote something, but our, our accounting excellence awards have just closed. <laughs> if you have applied, please buy a ticket. And uh, yeah, our accounting web live expo is like in November sometime, so it might be a bit early to uh, register your, your interest in that. But yeah, accounting web live expo. Maybe maybe go there and register your interest. Keep it in the mind palace. We've moved to Birmingham. It's at the NEC this year, so exciting times. The Midlands engine, so to speak. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Tom. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for having me. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel your growth. Learn more at soldo.com. Thank you.